Hello everybody, welcome to the latest podcast, this one being for February 2020. Hope you're well and that you'll enjoy the various topics that I've got lined up to chat with you about this month. Of course, February is the month of the Blackpool Magic Convention, the biggest magic convention uh, in the entire world, attracting thousands of magicians. I just don't know how they put on such a mega event. It really is incredible. And I don't have a stand with Mark Levish Magic, of course, these days there, uh, although I do have some involvement with the magic scene stand, and I'm often to be found lurking around there in the dealer's hall. But uh, if you're going to the Blackpool Convention and you happen to see me, do stop and say hi. Uh, it'll be lovely to have a chat. I've got the time. I'm very relaxed while I'm there these days. And it'll be nice to, to see people who um, listen to the podcast. Last month, um, I also went to the Session Magic Convention in London. And I've been going to that one for the last few years. And I have to say, I really do enjoy it. It's a, it's a wonderful combination of the sort of elements that I personally am looking for in a convention. I like the fact that um, the lineup is always excellent, of course, but I like the fact that they put everything down into bite-sized portions. You know, there's not, there, are, there are no very long sessions. I suppose the longest one is probably the gala show in the last night, but even that's only a couple of hours. So there's nothing there that's got you manacled to your seat for a, a too long a period. And even when there's, for instance, a session lasting an hour, let's say, Sometimes that's even broken up into a number of short talks for 15, 20 minutes each, sort of TED Talks style talks, which um, this year uh, they were particularly interesting on varied topics that had nothing to do with magic tricks, alleluia, but to do with other aspects of magic. And um, I find those particularly interesting and fascinating, especially when they're well presented as they were this year. Star for me... Uh, of the whole convention actually was Wayne Dobson I haven't seen him perform for a while and uh, he doesn't do so much now of course with his disability but he did for the session and I have to say he was brilliant the way that he managed to he has lost even though he has difficulty speaking these days um, his timing his comedy timing is still absolutely on the money and he got a well-deserved standing ovation. And that wasn't a sympathy standing ovation. That was because he was just so great. And his sense of humour, he doesn't appear to have lost any of the lines. And it, he has this twinkle in his eye when he when he says the lines. And, and they are, even when you've heard them before, the way he says them and the timing that he uses is absolutely fantastic. So well done, Wayne. He says, he said at the show, oh, I... I really enjoy this. I really must do this a bit more. I don't know whether he will, um, because in the in more recent times, of course, he's he's had to allow others to do his his stuff for him. But uh, certainly on the evidence of this, a short spot in a gala show, he can certainly still nail it with the best of them. Uh, the other person who I really enjoyed was Harrison Greenbaum from America. Um, he's a he's a New York Jew, as he kept telling us, and uh, he's very loud. He speaks incredibly fast in fact so fast that us brits you know you have to kind of tune into him because sometimes he speaks so fast you can't catch what he's saying but most of the time you can and um well his humor is very quick fire and extremely funny quite near the knuckles sometimes sometimes even a bit cruel but if you take it in that i guess if you take it in the right way that it's meant that it is just having a bit of fun uh, he was the real star and i thought 
every time he I think he appeared on three different shows and and I thought each time he appeared he he raised the level of excitement in the room and humor and he really drove through with such energy and everything that he did that he he was a delight to watch so I really really did enjoy him but there were loads of great things and I attended the convention with my three best magic friends and uh, so we turned it into a social occasion as well and we the hotel actually the food in the hotel is especially if you have the buffet is very reasonably priced for London and uh, and we enjoyed the the socializing the food and the coffees and the various other things as well as the actual magic so well done vanishing ink another another big success and i'm sure we'll all be back to do it all again next year so i'm sure you can imagine the situation you're a close up magician you're entertaining a small group at a table and uh, you bring out a deck of cards and you get a card chosen and you square up the deck and you cut the deck and you hold out the lower half of the pack for the spectator to return his card. And you say, if you'd like, just to put your card back in the middle. And sometimes the spectator would go, oh, no, I don't want to put it there. Let me put it somewhere else. I want to put it up there. It's one of these things that is a lot of like a minor challenge that some spectators seem to rather delight in making when you're performing in order to, as they would see it, try and trip you up. They do this quite a bit. Sometimes you might get somebody who, who see you're doing a uh, about to start a, a routine with a coin. You show the coin. They say, oh, can you do it with this one? And they hand you, try and hand you a coin out of their pocket. It's, it's, I don't know why people do this. I suppose it's because as magicians, we're trying to fool people. And some people just don't particularly like being fooled. Or it's just that they think, why should I let this magician call the shots? I'm going to try and trip him up. I'm going to try and prove he's not as good as he thinks he is. It, it's almost that that kind of attitude I think some spectators have. And although I must say personally, I don't get many challenges, I do get them occasionally. And I think um, you need to kind of think about how you're going to deal with this because what you don't want is the this type of minor interruption to derail your show. So there are a number of ways you can get round it. For instance, if you've got a, a gaffed deck, for instance, that you want to do it, you're starting to do a routine with, and somebody says, oh, can I have a look at those? Now, if you sort of grab them back towards you, no, 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 you can't. No, sorry, no, I'm not letting you look at those. Oh, why not? No, come on, I want to have a look. Why can't I look? Is that not an ordinary? Ah, that he's got a dodgy pack there. And all of a sudden what was just a initially can I just have a look at those cards now suddenly becomes a major thing because the th that spectator thinks that he's caught you out because you haven't let him examine that pack of cards now it could be that actually the pack of cards is a regular deck but you just don't want to hand it out because you don't want him putting his sticky fingers all over your cards or dropping them or you just don't want the time delay that this is going to cause in the in the in the sort of the run of your of your performance it's an interruption you don't need but sometimes um it can you can de derail this in, or diffuse this i should say in in different ways one way is when the spec says can i have a look at those if they really can't then the sort of line i make a joke out of it and i say no you can't because otherwise you find out how the trick's done and i just smile and carry on with the trick and people laugh and then the moment has gone because I've carried on with the trick and, and now it's not, no longer appropriate. So rather than getting defensive, saying, no, no, you can't, and, and looking worried and, and slightly furtive about it, I said, no, you, I just admit it. I said, no, you can't, because otherwise you find out how the trick's done. 
and it seems to 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 get over that that moment or if somebody goes to hand you something so can you don't do it with that coin do it with my coin if you can do the trick because it wasn't going to be a gimmick coin anyway if you can do the trick with their coin then why not do it take the coin and say oh okay and just carry on and do it and for some people for some lay people that will elevate the trick that you're about to do um, quite considerably in terms of them being impressed by it because yeah and I gave him my coin and he did it with my coin it's like any trick where you borrow something from a spectator often this can can make it more impressive to them because they know that the thing that it's being done with is not special because it's theirs so that's one way to get around it is just say no no you find out how the trick's done or another way is to is to say some if they are, make a request and they want to look at something and you can't let them look at it or you don't want to then I will say something like, um, oh, I'm sorry, I don't do a request on a Saturday. What day is it today? Saturday. Oh, no. What's the chances? OK, it's stupid, but it's just a sort of stock line that I use and it kind of fits me and I get away. With it. And then again, I move on and I don't break step and give the opportunity for a discussion about it. I think also it depends on your delivery style, whether you get challenges. I think if people like you and they are enjoying the magic that, you, that you're doing, they won't want to try and derail you. Whereas if they don't like you or you feel a bit, you seem to them to be a bit cocky uh, and a bit arrogant, then they might try and trip you up. Oh, I'll, I'll put him in his place. So I think depending on your performing personality, you will get more or less. But if you do get a lot of challenges, then maybe it's time to think, why are they wanting to look at this prop? Am I handling it in a suspicious way? Does it look odd in some way? And if it does, then either replace it or just ditch the trick entirely. And when I say keep getting, I don't mean necessarily even on the same night. If from one booking to the next, each time you get to a certain trick, there is some sort of problem with the prop, not being able to be examined and them wanting to then maybe thinking about why would be a good way to, to go. But certainly, I don't think you are in control of your show, or you should be. So you shouldn't let spectators call the shots. You should always be in charge. And if you do let something out to be examined, and we all do that from time to time, it should be because you want them to, and not just because they've asked you to. Last month in the podcast, I one of the topics that I used was based on something that Ken Webber had put in his excellent book, Maximum Entertainment. And I, I admitted at the time that the reason that I was um, talking about the topic that I chose was because uh, some of my friends were talking about it and we were discussing it uh, via email with each other. And, uh, and I said at the time that I hadn't actually read the book. And I thought, well, that's remiss of me. So um, I bought it and I have now read it. And it is very, very good. What I like about it, apart from the fact that it's very readable, uh, books on theory of how you should perform can be a bit dry sometimes and a bit preachy and not a very interesting read. But Ken's isn't. He's quite forthright. He says it exactly how he thinks it should things should be done. And he doesn't pull any punches. And I really like that. And 99% of what he said, I totally agreed with. Or one or two things that obviously you're bound to find. I'm not quite sure about that. But generally speaking... He was uh, his information and, and the advice that he gives is really on the money. And because and, and this one, sometimes you think to yourself, well, if I get a book and I don't really get anything new out of it, then it's been a waste of time, hasn't it? Well, no, because it's really nice sometimes when you, you read advice and somebody clearly knows what they're talking about. And they say you should do this and you should do that. You think, oh, actually, I do. 
And that can be very reassuring because we're all performers. Most of us perform on our own, of course, as we're part of a touring show or something. But performing in splendid isolation. And so you kind of, over the years get to do things in a certain way that you seems to work for you when you then read a book like this and it tells you well the best way to do so and so is like this you think oh that is how I do it it is very reassuring the most interesting book of the whole part of the whole book for me though was his chapter on language skills which is something that I've, I've not really thought about very much before and in particular in that chapter there was a section called Words and Phrases We Can Do Without. I laughed out loud multiple times at this this particular sort of subchapter because what he's done, he's pulled together all of the, well, all, lots of the redundant phrases and words that we as entertainers use and explained why they are a complete waste of space and why you shouldn't say them. And the reason it's I found it funny is because I realised that Certainly I, and I know lots of other people, use lots of them and never really thought about it. Now, they're harmless enough, but when you start to put them all together, one after the other, you realise how much time we waste in our acts saying things that either give the completely wrong impression that we want to give, thinking we're doing a good job, but actually the words we've used are doing the complete opposite, or they're just a waste of time. And you, I won't sort of go through them all because you should get the book and you should read it. But go straight to that, picture, that chapter. Starts on page 152. Start there and, and just read through the next few pages. And, and you will love it because it's it, there are so many things that... And when he explains why they're no good, you think, oh, you're absolutely right. No, of course that is a waste of time. Or, what a stupid thing to say. Oh, my goodness, I say it. So it, it's a really great book. and I'm so glad I bought it. And I, I, I suspect it's the sort of book that people will read more than once. It is very readable. As I say, you don't get bogged down with it at all. And, and he's broken it down into useful sections about different aspects of performance. And it's the sort of thing that probably we should all look back at from time to time and just to refresh ourselves. Have we fallen into any bad habits? And if so what those bad habits by, might be and how we can uh, how we can change them so i do recommend that very highly that's ken weber's maximum entertainment 2.0 which is the uh, the current way of telling people that this is an, an upgraded and improved version of an earlier publication one of the aspects of magic that seems to get some people very irate is when lecturers or authors or trick manufacturers don't give proper credit for previous versions of an idea that they are now either talking about or marketing. And, and rightly so. Uh, originators of truly unique ideas and concepts should be given the credit. But the, tr the problem is there is now so much out there that it's getting increasingly difficult to correctly credit where something started i mean how how far back do you go how can you be expected to know that in 1913 some magician came up with a concept that is now being used in a trick in 2020 you know you might know but you might not 
and how many of the iterations in between that time, the developments over the years, because some tricks, you know what it's like, very popular themes, let's just say any card, any number, the sort of the classic trick that has exercised magicians' minds for what seems like forever. Well, where, 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 how many of these variations do you bother to cite? Because if you're writing a book and you put a, a version of ACAN in it, you could take up several pages probably if you did your research enough, listing all the people who've made small incremental changes that have influenced you. I guess the fact of the matter is that nearly everything that is put out today is going to be based on something from the past. It's extremely rare and unlikely that anybody comes up with a totally unique and new concept. And and so therefore, it, it's inevitable that there are going to be people who don't get credited, not necessarily through the person not wanting to credit them, to, to simply not knowing how to find out the information or not being aware that their idea is extremely similar, if not virtually the same as somebody else has had. And this was brought to my mind because... At the session convention, Andy Gladwin announced that he was going to make his uh, master push-off move, which is a way of doing uh, getting a double lift ready. Um, he was he was going to he was announcing that he was making it open source. Now Andy's background is computing, so for him, software that's made open source is it's, it's a traditional thing to do. You allow other developers without having to pay any money or, or necessarily even make any credit. They are allowed to take this particular concept and run with it and develop their own software with it. And Andy, was what he wants to do is he wants to make some magic principles into open source, which probably means that you don't... The idea is, that, as he said with his master push-off, you can take that... You don't have to ask him his permission or anything like that. You basically just take it and use it, develop it further, put it into tricks. So what he's actually kind of saying is that he's drawing a line by announcing this on crediting. He's saying you don't have to necessarily credit this. You can just take the concept and go. And he, he, he says that he's going to release, if that's the right word, other ideas of his and call them open source as well. Now, I don't know whether there's going to be an open source police or whether people uh, just think, well, I was going to take that idea, I was going to use it anyway because you've published it, so why can't I just use it in any case? So I, I think there's a, a balancing act between, well, what, what is a sensible move or idea or concept that to make open source and how old does that idea have to be? Does it have to have a particular age? Could it be brand new? Could it be something from 40 years ago? You can, that's, the person will announce when it's now open source. I don't know. It's, it's a bit of a grey area, I suppose. But the idea of, of allowing people to, to run with an idea, if it's the right type of idea, uh, I don't know whether this double lift get ready is much of an idea. OK, you can do lots of things with it. He demonstrated very ably lots of ways that it can be used. So whether it has enough mileage in it to, to be open source and therefore valuable to other people, I'm not altogether sure. We will see. But as if other people start to do this, it'll be interesting to see what is released as open source and whether this makes any difference to the amount of magic and the type of magic that's created with these ideas. At this time of year, Magic Scene magazine's 
print schedule gets messed around a bit because our March issue has to be published early because we want it to be available at Blackpool. And in the, the old days, when Blackpool was the, pretty much the last weekend in February, it worked out really well for us because that's when we would be publishing anyway. Now it's in the middle of the month, it means we have to publish a couple of weeks earlier, which um, squeezes our time schedules a bit. But nevertheless, it will be ready. And the March issue, because we started in, with, in March at a Blackpool convention back in 2005, um, this, we're going into our 16th year of publishing and I'm really really proud of this that the, the little team of us who, who put together Magic Scene every, every two months we've been together all this time and we all bring something different to the party as it were and I like to think that Magic Scene has over the years become totally established and is a read that people love to have Obviously, we now can reach so many more people because not only are the printed versions printed in the UK and also in the US, but but also with the digital versions, which can be pinged around the world. And with our Magic Scene Lite, the sort of taster versions that come out and they're based on the last previous full issue to give people another opportunity to download, to see what they think of Magic Scene and then maybe perhaps take out a a subscription either download or printed as a result of what they've seen in the light the free light versions but I'm, I'm i'm very pleased with the way that magic scene has developed over the year the basic tenure has always been the same the the, the idea is that we we didn't want to have regular columnists who every month obviously talking about something different but it always would look very similar so although we have a masterclass section which is always there where we have a couple of tricks for people to learn Basically, most of the things are free free flow, which means that when you get your copy, you're never going to be quite sure what there's going to be in it. And we like to think that makes it interesting and more likely to be opened and read as a result. Yes, we will always have feature artists, feature featured performers. We will have a review section, but there are no columnists. So um, the other articles, the advice articles, the help articles, the general interest ones, are very varied the comedy articles you never know what you're going to get and one of the challenges that uh, that I have as editor and that we have generally with the magazine is to find a nice blend and mix of things to keep that variety interesting and current I think Phil does a Phil Shaw does a, a great job with the design it's a very readable format I think it it's it's a coffee table read you know when it's on the table and you pick it up you can browse through it the, the articles are not don't stretch with dense text for page after page after page um, they are more dip into because we, we understand that a lot of people just simply don't have time to to spend ages wading through long articles even if they're interesting they just simply don't have the time. And so rather than get involved, they probably think, oh, yeah, when I've got some time, I'll read that. And then, of course, they don't read it. And then they start thinking, well, why do I need this? I never read this. Whereas we like to think that with ours, because you can dip into it and there are one and two page articles as well as the slightly longer ones, that you will feel that you do have the time to, to go in and, and see what's what for this particular issue. So the next one will, will I say, will be the start of our 16th year. I'm sure when we, we first started all those years ago that people thought, well, it won't last. That, that'll soon fold. Fortunately, it hasn't. And um, we are very proud of the output and uh, that we've had over the last 
over the last 15 years and we're really looking forward to continuing and improving as as we go along in the future if you haven't had a, a, any copies of magic scene get the, there are currently four issues of magic scene light in fact there's, there's now five issues of magic scene light that you can download from the magic scene website and there are other dealers who distribute them as well it's a download it's free take them down download them and you'll see that if you don't already know what's in magic scene and then it might encourage you as i say to to get more involved with the full version if like me you've been involved in magic for a long time when was the last time that you sort of took a step back and evaluated your act or your technique or your repertoire for that matter because I think it's very easy, especially if you perform quite a lot. You, you get tricks that are your favourites, which you know work well with lay people. And you do them every time you go out to work. In my case, as a strolling magician, the things I put into my, my suit when I go out to work are pretty much always the same. They're all tried and tested. I know that I can perform them, I assume, well. And therefore, I'm confident when I go out to work. It's, it's, it's a very nice feeling of security. But I'm sure that there must be in all of us, when you do something again and again and again, it's very easy to get a little bit sloppy, perhaps. Uh, certainly in terms of technique. I know that when I perform a lot in low lighting, for instance, let's say at dinner functions, even some restaurants, the, the, the ambient lighting is not necessarily particularly bright and you feel slightly more secure when you're doing slights because the clarity of vision of spectators when the only lighting is a candle, a real candle on the middle of a table, is obviously not going to be the same as when you are performing in the summer outside in bright sunlight. And I know that in the summer months when I can sometimes feel quite almost exposed by this terribly brilliant light that I'm having to perform I thought oh gosh I've got to do this really well otherwise that coin I'm palming might glint in the sun you know it's, it's that sort of thing and I think sometimes it's it's worth either getting a friend to come along to a show and just watch what you do or even if you can get get some of your live performances filmed and watch them back yourself at the very least to evaluate whether what you're doing is as good as you think that it is or that you would like it to be now, just because you can do a slight doesn't mean that you're still doing it well. I know from, from my own perspective that as, as I get older, certain things that I used to do automatically, uh, my hand's getting slightly stiffer. And so I'm finding I'm starting to slightly change some of the moves I use. Uh, an example of that would be riffle shuffles. I used to do a riffle shuffle with the cards up in the air. Now I'm finding the pressure needed on my fingers. It hurts my fingers a bit to do it and I can't do it as well. So I found myself abandoning that and instead just doing an overhand shuffle instead, which which does, it's fine. And lay people recognise an overhand shuffle for what it is. It's a shuffle of the cards. But that's an example where my physical limitations have forced me to change it. And there may be other things that we as we get older, that we all are doing and we think we're still doing them well. But when we watch it back on the video, we go, oh, my retention of vision coin vanish. I'm getting the timing wrong and I'm flashing. It's not the illusion. It's not like I thought it was. 
And I think that that little process of self-evaluation can be very helpful because then you can tweak what you're doing. You can work on, adapt, or even as I did in the case of the riffle shovel up in the air, just change what you're doing so that instead of this becoming a weakness in your performance, you've identified that there might be an issue and you've done something about it and either gone back to better ways of doing it or changed it so that it's now within your capabilities when you're actually working. I think that's a really valuable and useful thing to do because the the last thing that, that any of us want, and I know I certainly don't, is that as I get older, I don't want to get worse. I don't want people to say, to look at a performance, a lay person, and go, well, that old codger can't do it anymore, can he? You know, that that is my idea of a nightmare. And I think being more self-aware and being aware of any limitations that you are now having to put upon the way you perform, it's actually a good thing because it helps you to perhaps bypass it and go round it and make sure that you you don't look like the old codger who can't work anymore so when was the last time you you looked at your act your technique get something to do it or look at it yourself and you might be quite surprised at what you see or you might be really delighted to discover you can still actually hack it and if you can well done to you well that's the end of the podcast for february Hope you've enjoyed that and found it interesting. As I mentioned at the beginning, I will be at the Blackpool Convention. So if you do see me, do say hi. And uh, even if I don't see you at Blackpool, then obviously I will be back here with a new selection of topics to chat with you about. And at the very least, I hope to see you for the March one then. Have a good month. Bye for now. (laughs) 